And uh, we've kind of looked at or picking out seven psalms that we can apply to our lives. And also one of the nights, of course, will be the worship night where we're going to take a psalm and examine it and use it as a kind of a leading and worshiping God. And so I know seven is not a lot of 150, but uh, that's kind of what I felt like was on my heart that we wanted to just kind of take a sample. And I hope that, and I would encourage you guys that you would want to read the Psalms more and kind of just be hungry for more of what we find in the Psalms and what God has to give us through the Psalms. Now today, we're going to start with just a little tiny introduction, looking a little bit at the book as a whole. I don't want to take a lot of time because we're also going to be looking at Psalm 23, one of the most famous, if not the most famous of the Psalms. And I thought it was a good place to start, start with the one that at least everybody's kind of heard it's in some way or another. I know in the States, a lot of the, in the Christian communities, everybody's got it on their coffee mug even, or a t-shirt with it on or something. And so it's a good place to start. Before we dive into that though, I just want to pray, give this time over to the Lord. Lord, we want to always start by thanking you for your word, that we can come together and dive into and examine your word and examine our own hearts as we look at your word, at the standards and examples that you set for us in your word. I ask, Lord, that you would open our hearts to receive what you have to say to us and that you would open my heart and my mind, Lord, to speak only your truth today. It is for your name and for your glory we are here today and that we are diving into your word together. In Jesus' name, amen. So, as I said, brief introduction to Psalms. If you uh, don't know anything about the Psalms, it's one of the more popular books in the Bible, and it's one of the more popular books in Christian communities as a whole, and has been for a long time. Throughout the church history, Psalms were always very important and a huge part of worship gatherings, a huge part of the culture, and also in Jewish history, it's a huge part of the culture and something that was studied and meditated on and memorized. And the name Psalms, if we look at the Greek translation of the Bible, it means songs. So, and from the Hebrew means praises. So we're looking at a series of 150 poems, songs, praises, and prayers. And the prayers are usually tied with the laments of of the Psalms, where we see kind of him crying out to God in desperation. Now, there's actually not one book of the Psalms. It's five books that have been compiled together. And it's actually designed a certain way. It's designed to be five books so that it can be read from beginning to end. Some people try to tie it in with maybe the five books of Moses and and this and that. There's not a whole lot of evidence to support whether or not that's how, how true that really is, but it is definitely built or put together for a purpose. And we see these kind of caps at each book. If you've looked through your Bible, you'll see that these, there's a kind of title at the beginning of each book. We don't have a lot of time to get into a lot of that. Uh, and the chapters of Psalms are quite uh, all over the place. We have Psalm what's 117 that has only three verses. That's pretty easy if you're doing a chapter a day. But we also have Psalm 119, that's 176 verses, the longest chapter in the Bible. So it kind of varies. And if we look at the authors or all of the people who contributed to the book, 
it actually spans almost a thousand years in the compiling of all of these works. But most of it was written in the time of David. And of course, who wrote the Psalms? If we look at each Psalm, each Psalm starts with a title, or most of them start with a title. And uh, they usually reveal something about the author, something about, and sometimes historical notes of the time. And most commonly that you'll see in most of your Psalms, that if you're diving into your book, is that it says a song or a Psalm of David. And this leads us to know that David wrote more than half of the Psalms, at least 73, or 73 of them, not at least, exactly 73, have a, his title as a song or a Psalm of David. And it could be that he wrote more than that. There are many that are anonymous. Uh, along with David, we also see that Solomon, his son, wrote a few psalms. We see the sons of Aspa, the sons of Korah. And these both would have been groups of people who were involved in the choir. So they would have been probably responsible for a lot of the more musical sides of a lot of these songs and psalms because they would have been responsible for the corporate singing together in the temple. And in books four and five is where we see most of our anonymous writers. And we're not sure exactly who wrote them. Could have been David as well. And even Moses has one psalm that is attributed to him. Now, the psalms are in a lot of ways timeless in the sense that they are, we can apply what they say and apply the kind of the meat of what they have to offer to our lives today in real life. So we have this collection of 150 poems that span this massive variety of different topics and different themes that are all centered and directed around our emotions. And that's what's really special about the book of Psalms, that the way that it communicates is not just through an intellectual understanding, but through an emotional connection. He uses or David especially uses a lot of emotional kind of imagery in how he presents these truths. And they address literally every issue that we can face today in our Christian walk. Is where anything that we come to, whether it's something good or something horrible, we can see an application of it in the Psalms. And that's something else that's very special about the Psalms. And... Again, they're just as useful for us today as they were when they were written back then. As believers, we can really feel the weight of these psalms. We can pray the psalms out loud. We can truly live and breathe the psalms in our everyday lives. Now, before we dive into our psalm for today, I said it would be brief. I really want to spend some time getting into Psalm 23 because it's, there's a lot to be said I want to read the introduction to all of the books of Psalms. Just the very first few verses. So I want to read Psalms 1, 1 through 3. Which kind of sets the stage for the purpose of all of five books. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. 
Now we're only going to be spending seven weeks looking at this massive, the largest book of the Bible. There's 150 Psalms. But I want to encourage you guys to take the advice of the introduction here and to read these on a daily basis and to meditate on them day and night so that we can truly be this tree planted by a stream. The Psalms are not meant to just be read merely for their doctrine. They're meant to touch and to shape and to mold us through our own emotions. And this is one of the reasons why so many Christians are drawn to the Psalms, because they've given expression for so many, such an array of emotions that we all face for good and for bad, in good seasons and bad seasons. And so I want to encourage you to take that advice. And I'm not just uh, telling you guys, I did it this week as I was preparing for this, the message for looking at Psalm 23. Every single day, I just, I memorized it on Monday. It's only seven verses. It's not a very big deal. And I, every day, I just spent time thinking on it and quoting it and meditating on it. And I really found that it is something that's nourishing to our souls. It is something that has power to transform and to change our lives. And so I would really, truly encourage you. And as we go through this psalm, it's, if you're going to start somewhere with memorizing a verse, if you're going to start with memorizing a psalm, this is a great one to start. We'll see quickly how it's such an encouragement and how it can strengthen us and comfort us in all situations that we face. And so the reading and the meditating of God's word truly has power to transform lives. And so, as we're diving into the Psalms, even though we're only going to be doing it for seven weeks, I continue, I'd ask you to continue to be reading, continue to be diving into these Psalms and meditating on them daily. So let's jump into our chapter for today. Psalm 23. If you have a Bible, you can turn. Otherwise, it will probably be on the screen. And... Uh, we're going to jump in. We're going to go ahead and read all the way through this psalm. And then we're going to dive into each individual verse by verse and kind of look at the applications and implications that it has for us today. So I'll start by reading it. Title, A Psalm of David. So we know clearly who it's written by. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures and leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Such an encouraging passage. And this psalm could be broken into two different images that we see used for God. The first is the Lord as shepherd. And this is what we see in the first half, verses 1 through 4, that, the, that we look at God as our shepherd. David is comparing God to a shepherd. And the second is the Lord as a great host that's taking care of his guests, preparing a table, 
And this is in verses 5 and 6. Now both would have been familiar to both David and many people of that time. And something that he would have known from experience as a former shepherd and also as somebody who probably liked to eat. Something I can definitely relate to. And this, this is definitely something that most importantly can be applied to us today. It's easily adapted to our everyday life. Even though I've never been a shepherd, I have hosted. I can relate to this and I can, we can see the image and how it applies to our lives today. So this may be one of the most well-known chapters, not just of the Psalms, but of the entire Bible. Maybe only drawn next to uh, John 3.16. But it's definitely one that many know and many have heard. And this psalm, in this psalm, is revealed a reminder from David for us today. And it's a declaration that even in the midst of troubles, even when things are hard, God will provide for and protect his sheep. And that is his people. So let's dive right into looking at this verse by verse. Verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd. And we can't miss the importance of this word, my. And how awesome it is to see the use of this personal pronoun, my shepherd. This personal element that David brings in right at the start. Now, I want to really emphasize that how important this is because I think in our day and age, it's easy for us to not notice this or to not see its importance or the gravity of the fact that, that David would use a personal pronoun that God is my shepherd. Because today, individualism is just sewn into the very culture, the very fabric of our culture today. We're all about the individual. It's all about how things affect the individual, whether it's what we buy, what we eat, where we go, what we do, how we spend our time. We have from personal pizza to personal God. It's all personal. It's all about us as individuals. And there is a personal aspect to this, obviously. That's what we're going to be diving into. But it's easy to make it too personal or too center-focused. And so we want to really notice how huge this is, that God would be my shepherd and would be your shepherd. Because through the Bible, we saw that the Israelites were always led by God and he was always their God. He was always leading them as their shepherd. And we see him leading them as a people. But here, David says, this is my, God is my shepherd. And so there's something very powerful that there's more than just the corporate element to our relationship with God. Although that is a huge part of it. We today in the new covenant are the body of Christ. And God, Jesus is our head and our leader as, as a church, as a whole. But God also sees us as an individual. So he is our shepherd, but he's also my shepherd. He's also your shepherd. And I lack nothing. I'm immediately drawn to Philippians 4.19. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. That's an awesome and encouraging verse to hear. 
But I also feel like we need to remind ourselves that that's what our needs are, not always what our wants are. God doesn't uh, just give us everything we want when we want it, exactly the way we want it. He's a good shepherd. And God determines what is good for us and what we really need. And he will always provide those for us. He will always provide our needs. Not always what we want, but always our needs. And this is a part of his title as good shepherd. He's a good shepherd. He's not a a genie. He's not magic. He's not something that we can just instantly get gratification from. He's a shepherd who leads and guides us. And he will always provide. We will never need anything. We lack for nothing. Now in the rest of this psalm, we kind of, we see this good shepherd as God as, as provider and God as protector laid out in a few different ways. And all these images that are used throughout this text, there's always this undertone in David's, kind of, I feel like in, in David's voice of a declaration. He's not just calling on God He's declaring this as true. A declaration of faith in God and God's promises for him. His promises as, pro- as provider and his promises as protector. To be a good shepherd and to be a good host to us. So it's not just, we see this declaration throughout uh, David's tone in this text. So verse 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. Now for a good portion of David's life, he lived as a shepherd. So this image of a shepherd, again, is something that would have been very real and close to him, something that was very vivid in how he pictured it. And green pastures and quiet waters, both these allude to a peaceful place for rest and for feeding, for nourishment both vital to the life of the sheep. They need rest. They need peace. And they need nourishment. And as a shepherd, David knew how important this was. But he also knew how hard it was. To lead the sheep can be difficult. But also there are times when it's winter and it's, the grass is not as abundant. There are times when we go through dry seasons and water is not as easy to come by. And in these times of scarcity, we can trust in our shepherd that he will find the water. He will lead us to the green pastures. He will lead us to the places where we can be at peace, find rest and nourishment. And today... He leads us to Christ. He leads us to Jesus. Who said in John 7, 37, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Jesus Christ is our quiet waters. He is our place of nourishment, our place of peace. Moving on to verse 3. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his namesake. He refreshes me. I love this image. And this is not something that's just theoretical. It's not just uh, 
we kind of have this idea of feeling refreshed. I believe that when he says he refreshes my soul, it's not just, uh, it's, it's something that's refreshing of our spirit and also our physical bodies. That Jesus truly is a refreshment for us completely. And we need rest in our lives. We need rest. We need times of rest, spiritually and physically. And what did Jesus do after a long day when he was worn out, went home, kicked off his sandals, turned on to Netflix, maybe opened a beer? No. When Jesus got to a point where he was at his end and needed rest, he left the crowds, he went off alone by himself, and he spent time with God. He spent time in prayer. He went to God because it's only God that restores, that gives us true rest. Not TV, unfortunately. Nothing wrong with TV, definitely nothing wrong with Netflix. But we need to be refreshed, and for that, we need to go to the source. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. We see the answer again is Jesus Christ. When we are worn out, when we're at our end, when we're feeling like, I can't keep going like this, Netflix is not going to restore us. Jesus Christ is the one who offers rest, true rest, true restoration that really refreshes us in spirit and in body to our very soul. He is our strength and he is our refresher. He leads us on the right path. And the translation I like better, he leads us on paths of righteousness because I feel like that is a better image, because this is about how God guides us and leads us every day of our lives through every situation we face, and he's always leading us toward righteousness. He's always leading us in the direction of righteousness. And I found that in my own life, I'll share with you that when I am feeling like I'm not moving forward, the best thing to do is to look back and to see how God has led us to where we are, led us through situations, and always led us in a direction of righteousness. And so it is all about leading us in that direction. But why does he do it? Why would God lead us towards righteousness? David gives us the answer. For his name's sake. That's always a weird turn. It's not for so we feel good about ourselves not so that we're better people it's for his name's sake that he leads us on paths of righteousness that he leads us on the right path for his glory and I found this quote in a commentary I really liked about this in order he does this in order to preserve his reputation for being true to his revealed character This is the way that God revealed himself. It's about him. He is 
creator God. And we see this all throughout the Bible. David uses it in another example that I want to share with you in Psalms 25, verse 11. And there are many more examples, but this is another good one. For the sake of your name, Lord, forgive my iniquity, though it is great. So here we see a totally different direction. It's not just in when God is, God leads us on paths of righteousness. Why? For his glory, for his namesake. And as David here is pleading for forgiveness for his sins, a personal request, something that seems to be, you know, about him trying to better himself. What does he say? How does he plea to God? For your namesake, forgive my sins so that you will be glorified in it. I want to be forgiven for your glory, not for mine. He knows, David knows, that God's ultimate motivation is for his glory. Everything exists for the glory of God. It's a God-centered image, which we see all throughout the Bible, painted very clearly. Now God, as we see in this text, God is personal. He does care for us as individuals. He loves us personally. He leads us personally. But it's about Him. He gets the glory. And in Psalm 19.1, another really awesome example of this, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Everything, all creation, everything, in everything, something is going to be glorified. And I'm telling you, we don't want to be the center of all of the glory of God. It doesn't end well for us. As creations of God, we function at our absolute best when we function with our purpose to honor and to glorify Him. So there's this small phrase that He throws in. You lead me on paths of righteousness for your namesake, but it changes the whole context, the whole feeling, the whole purpose of this entire passage. Everything was designed to honor God. And this isn't because God's egotistical, it's because He's the Creator. And we should live to His glory as God Himself operates to His own glory. This is the revealed nature of his name to be glorified. Verse four, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So he moves here from faith in provision as a shepherd He's, God is going to always make sure that the sheep have their rest, have the water, have the grass. Two, faith in God as protector. And this darkest valley, most translations, valley of death, is just a poetic description to describe the lowest of the low, the darkest of the dark, and a dangerous place. And remember, God leads us always toward righteousness. He's always leading us on the right path. And this means that even in this dangerous place, 
it doesn't mean that we're on the wrong path. Even when we find ourselves in these places of darkness, of danger, of fear, if we're with Him, if we're following Him, we know we're still not on the wrong path. We're still on the right path, and He is leading us through these places. And what does David say? He says, I I won't be afraid. And there's one clear reason why he won't be afraid and why David is so fiercely believing on God and trusting on God in this, as he describes this dark and dangerous place and why we should trust in him as well today because you are with me. Because you are with me. It changes everything. And here he takes this personal level even further. It's not just that God is our, my personal shepherd, that he's shepherding me and leading me and guiding me and providing for me, but he's also with me. He's with me even when I'm facing danger, even when I'm in these dark places. And this is the real center of Psalm 23. God is with us. God is with us today. He's with us in all situations we face. And I think for all of us, this dark valley can mean many different things. And I don't believe that there is anybody here that has not faced a dark valley in their life. If not, you might not have been paying attention because we go through dark valleys in our lives. And when we do, we can trust and know. Maybe you're in one now. And I would encourage you, God is with you. He is with you in that. It may not seem like you're on the right path, but he's with you and he's leading you through it always. And we don't have to fear. We can trust in him. Your staff and your rod, they comfort me. These are tools that God uses as he leads us, as he guides us, and as he protects us. David fought lions and bears to protect his sheep. So he knew this image well. And God, as shepherd, defends us. He stands beside us and protects us. But rod, staff were also used to maybe nudge a little bit in the right direction. Keep the sheep from falling off a cliff. So sometimes he nudges us and that can sometimes be uncomfortable. Not always pleasant to get nudged by God. But when he nudges us, it's always for our good, always for our betterment, and always for our protection because we can trust that he's leading us down the right path no matter what we're going through or what we're facing. Now in the next two verses, we see this shift from shepherd to Lord as host. In verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil My cup overflows. Now this is all a really similar image of the lavishness of God when he pours himself onto us, when he gives us these provisions that our cup overflows. Now again, God's not a genie. That doesn't mean my bank account is going to overflow with money necessarily, even if that would be nice. But it does mean 
I'm always going to have the grace that I need, the love that I need, the joy that I need, and the life that I need. And I'm going to have it more than I need. It's going to be overflowing. And that's the whole idea. It's not in my notes, but if we, in John, Jesus says that streams of living water will flow out of us. And that's because there's so much being poured into us. So much love, so much grace, so much joy, so much mercy. In John 10.10, Jesus says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Abundantly. Not just enough, not just sufficiently, Abundantly, more than we need. Verse 6. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is God's grace, God's mercy, and God's goodness, and our great hope in what's to come. But it's not to all. This isn't a promise to everyone. It's to his sheep, to his people, through his covenant. David is proclaiming and making a cry of his faith in this truth. He knows who God is. And years later, one came, a good shepherd. Jesus Christ came. John 10, 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. As David put himself in harm's way many, many times for his own sheep, Jesus Christ laid down his own life and sacrificed himself on the cross for our sins. He's saying here, hey, (laughs) that shepherd that David was talking about, that's me. I am the good shepherd. I have come. I lay down my life to give you life abundantly. All those who are thirsty, come and drink. All those who are hungry, I am the bread of life. All those who are weary, kind of reaching their end, having a hard week, come to me and I will give you rest. He is the good shepherd. John 10, 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. And John 10, 27 through 30, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given me give them given them to me is greater than all no one can snatch them out of my father's hand i and the father are one so the question of psalms 23 for us today is are we one of his sheep are we one of these sheep his sheep know that they need a shepherd His sheep know his voice. And as they know his voice, they follow him. Now, before we end the service, I just want to 
give you guys all an opportunity. If you're here today and you think, I don't know. I don't know if I'm one of his sheep. I want to encourage you. You can come talk to me. There are other people here up that will be up front that you can talk to. We would love to sit down. I personally would love to sit down and talk with you about what that means and answer any questions you might have about what it means to be one of his sheep if you're questioning that. If you're here today and you are one of his sheep, we can rejoice that we have a good shepherd, a good host. And I'll invite the band to come back up. And I want to leave you guys with this. Jesus is the good shepherd and will not lose one of his sheep. He loves us, protects us, provides for us all that we need, more than we need. And in him, we have the hope and the promise of eternal life. We will surely dwell in the house of the Lord forever as his people, as his sheep. Amen.